and welcome to Season 2 of Power Talk. Power Talks are short, powerful interviews from leading youth violence experts, spreading new ideas and sharing best practice. For more information on the work our charity Power the Fight does and to find out how you can help empower communities to end youth violence, please visit www.powerthefight.org.uk. On today's episode, we have Ebenita Ier, founder of Milk Honey Bees and lead project coordinator at Juvenis. Talia Kenzit, founder of Youth Realities and Laura Price, young women's associate from Abianda. Today's topic is understanding women, girls and violence. Welcome to Power Talk. Really pleased that you guys could come and uh, could you just introduce yourselves and tell us who you are and what you do? Let's start. Yeah, um, right. I'm Talia Kenza. I'm the founder and director of Youth Realities. Uh, we're a youth-led organisation addressing teenage relationship abuse creatively and compassionately. Amazing. Um, my name is Ebenita Iere. I work for Juvenis, but I'm also the founder of Milk and Honey and we work with young women who are affected by violence and we give them a space to heal, evolve and build resilience. Nice. My name is Laura Price and I work for Abianda. I work with young women aged 10 to 16 affected by gangs and county lines. Amazing. So why I wanted to get you guys together, I've worked with you all in different capacities. Um, I've admired from afar just the work you do specifically with women and, and girls. Uh, Ebby, it was you who actually challenged me uh, around season one of Power Talk to say, where's the conversation about women and girls? So it's your fault we're all here now and we're going to have that conversation. But I think it's an important one because the narrative around violence, whether it's youth violence or just violence in general, very much is centred on boys and men. Yet here, three uh, people working uh, for organisations which specifically engage with women. So I suppose, and, and girls, so the first question really for me is, why is that important? Like, if violence is something which impacts the whole community, why have a specific focus on girls? Have we missed something? Just give us, give us an idea of what's going on when it comes to women and girls and, and violence. I think young women are labelled predominantly um, amongst the conversation of serious youth violence as girlfriends um, or you know, caught up in something and they're not given the autonomy that they deserve to really be humanised in a sense, to make their own decisions, be responsible for their own decisions and be considered on a higher strength. I think the onus is on the men, the young men, the knife crime, and we're forgetting about the other strengths of serious violence because it's a broad spectrum and there's so much more. There's the violence in relationships that young women are experiencing every single day. The rates are ridiculous. It's one in three young women um, young person, in fact, mm. experiences by predominantly young women um, domestic violence before their 18th birthday. And that's not something that the government are talking about. It's not something that society is talking about enough. I think young women are getting lost in translation, especially because there's so much focus on knife crime and knife crime amongst young men. Right. Uh, yeah, great. Would you agree with that? Anything? Yeah, I'd agree. But I'd also say that I think there's not enough focus on the young women who actually mobilise in their communities to keep these young men safe. And those are kind of young women that I work for. The women that I work with and for, to be honest, yeah. Um, the women that are not really picked up by services because they're not saying that they're domestically abused or they're raped. They're more the siblings, the girlfriends, the cousins. They have the association with the victim of knife crime and they tend to be missed because services don't really know how to work with them. 
but also schools don't really know how to treat them because they will be deemed as having an attitude or being bad or being angry and aggressive. So I think around the conversation, there's different parts of it. When it comes to women that are missed, there's the domestic violence side, there's also the educational side. I think moreover, the side of the girls on the estates who are witnessing this kind of violence day in and day out, the girls that are making the calls to the police and having to really take care of the boys, wrapping wounds, and it's not that they've been forced or exploited to, it's just that if you've grown up with someone from childhood and you are brought up in a way that you know that this is your brother, so to say, your reaction is to help him. And those are the kind of girls that are being missed for me. Okay. I think also it's not just young women that we're talking about and we need to broaden that out to actually it's a cross-generational issue and there's women of all different ages that are affected, but often that's not spoken about either. Um, whether that's mothers who are experiencing domestic abuse because their child, that, that violence is the only way that they know how to deal with conflict or issues. Um, or, yeah, older aunties, people who've had, women who've had babies with people involved in gangs, um, and the fact that that just means they're always connected and, and can't kind of leave. I think gang exit is language that's used a lot, and that's just not a reality for women most of the time. Okay, so this is fascinating. So all of you have kind of just looked at different aspects of how women and girls um, engage with violence, gangs, you know, whatever you want to call it. Why do you think this isn't something which um, naturally comes out in the press? When you see the media and we see the headlines, um, I think there's probably one or two high-profile victims of violence, um, which I can remember, but in terms of like the narrative and the story of girls and and women, uh, as you said, may well be almost playing like the mother figures or, or, or the fact that they're involved in different ways um, or there's an intergenerational thing. This is stories we don't hear. What, what do you reckon some of the reasons for that is? Um, I think because it's easy to work on the exploitation and CSE side when it's associated with gangs. I feel like in society, when it is around this topic, we've kind of labelled predominantly black men as the perpetrators and labelled all women as exploited and victims of CSE. And I think that there's no evidence that actually shows the racial evidence of who these girls are, which makes it 10 times worse because it makes it seem like it's all young women that are associated with these predominantly black boys because that's what the figures would show us. So I think because of that narrative of taking away the power from women and just labelling them as victims, that's why it's easier to speak about them and, like, the intergenerational women won't be mentioned or the women who are in relationships won't be mentioned or the women that I work, the young women that I work with who are not necessarily presenting from the onset that, yeah, this is what I'm going through, but they're more presenting as, this is the boy that, you know, I've got his back kind of thing and I want to deal with how that's making me feel. And through those and under those layers, all of the other things come out but I just think that it's easier to label boys as perpetrators and girls as victims. And that's a societal thing across just gender in general. So then when it's narrowed down to violence, again, it's just easier to just label because that's kind of what our government, our funders, and, you know, our practitioners have been able to see, really. We don't see the power in the women and we don't see the victim in the man. That's a good line. I agree and would add um, 
violence against women and girls has been going on for years. <laughs> um, and only in the past, say, 100 years or something, actually been starting to happen to change that and to address that. And even if we're talking about all women, domestic violence cuts to women's services have been ongoing well, and declining every year. And so why are they going to start focusing on young women mm. with these issues? They've never done it before. And it's not something that the media are, are going for and addressing, probably because it's not as scary as a young black boy carrying a knife and attacking police officers um, and doesn't make, make for as good of a headline. Um, but no, societally and, and government haven't been doing anything and they've been getting away with not doing anything. So I agree, it is easier for them to just not do anything and to just label all women as victims, as Ebby was saying. Okay. Um, yeah, just agreeing with that really. I think it is violence against women and girls in general and how we view that as a society, as a society that really underpins the reason that these girls are forgotten um, and women are forgotten. And yeah, the gender stereotypes that exist, the inequality that exists means that violence against women still isn't acknowledged, treated, there isn't the support available that there should be. And so young women, you know, young people are always more marginalised again than adults. And so that, that issue is just compounded for them. But are we basically saying, and again, I'll play devil's advocate a little bit, um, but are we saying that the, the youth violence, the gang issue, really does impact women as much as it impacts men? If we take... Gangs Matrix, for example, and my, one of the arguments I've always had about that, I mean, there's many things I could say about that, but um, it was always 99.9% boys on there. And my question was always, yeah, but you, most of them will be in relationship to, with women so or girls, so why are we not engaging there? But are we honestly saying that actually there's just as many girls, I mean, you were talking about or perpetrators, um, as well as kind of them supporting men. But is this really the case or is this just kind of, you know, is it a bit of a hype to think that actually women are involved in this as much as men? I'm just... I don't really like the whole victim-perpetrator language because I think young men very often are victims as well as perpetrators and that happens in a cycle. Um, but I think, so a young woman I was speaking to this week actually said to me that she really wanted people, particularly adults, to understand that young women use violence as well. Um, and if you're in a society where violence or a, a culture where violence is normalised, then that is going to be your go-to way of dealing with stuff. Um, so it might not present in exactly the same way as it does for young men, but young women are definitely affected by violence. The problem then comes when that does get into the media, although it's not that often, is you then get headlines around young women um, kind of being sensationalised because they're using violence and that is not an expectation that is that young women should be using violence. So it's very much seen as women should be kind of gentle and nice and so if they're using violence it's this terrible, terrible thing that's happening rather than seeing it as just a reflection of wider society in general. Yeah. I think we definitely need to acknowledge that women are violent and again I agree, I don't like using the labels but um, women definitely are and have been perpetrators of violence against other women and, and, and other men. Um, and again, the cycle of them being a victim, etc., needs to be acknowledged in that. But again, it's about allowing the women to have the space to explore why they're using violence. And I think there's a lot more services available for men, being that the, the 
violence up here than that we're experiencing and have been experiencing for a long time. But um, uh, there's a lot more space for men to and young men to explore their reasons for using violence and, and more services and more money put into services for young men to do that, opposed to young women. So that's why it's so important that there are services available and spaces available yeah. for young women to do that. Yeah. But it definitely needs to acknowledge the behaviour of both. I think there's a spectrum and I think the spectrum is very wide for young women that people don't really know all the different parts. Mm. Because if I go back to your question around is this violence and all these gangs, so to say, affecting young women, it's on different levels. So for me, when I look at the communities that the young men are coming from and the young women that are around, there's a, around the sensitization of that male, that male violence, automatically that woman is impacted, that young girl on the estate is impacted, the young girl skipping is impacted. Break it down a little bit more. How, so, how, how are they impacted? It's like, if somebody's stabbed, if somebody is stabbed, the first, one of the first people to be called are always women. Like I've worked with young people who have been stabbed or who have been in fights and, or been arrested. And I always get calls from the women that are associated with those boys. And so that alone, being able to see violence, but still pick up the phone and call somebody to report it or call somebody to help you with what to do, for me, that is powerful. And those kind of women don't get spoken about. The women that are always responding to the trauma of young men and their trauma is not looked at because nobody really knows how to look at it. Then the other side of it is young women who fight. You know, I'm from an era where girls were really, really aggressive. Like, I grew up knowing how to fight because that's what we had to do in our time. When you look at all girls' schools, fighting is... The rates of fights in all girls' schools are high but they don't get spoken about because it's young women and we think that mediation will just fix it, you know? We think that just because two girls have had a fight, they're just going to say sorry to each other and it's, you know, going to end. But nobody looks at the fact that this fight may violently end, but subconsciously on social media, it carries on. Also, there's another side of the girls who actually are directly, not just girlfriends of these boys, but directly friends with these boys. The girls who are doing bike rides with these boys, the girls who are really as more involved than the boys, but because they're girls, no one looks at them. But they've also got their own trauma. They've also got their own stuff that has made them aggressive right from childhood that nobody looks at because she's a bad girl. But then there's also that young girl who may not be directly involved in all these things but she went to school with that boy mm. she went and i'm not talking about secondary school i'm talking about primary school where society raises us to love one another in primary school you know it's nice it's fluffy play with the boys the girls play with the girls boys play with the boys you know it's kiss chase it's, it's all these nice things but she might go off to a different kind of school but then she has to wake up or on the way to her school or her life and see that somebody that she was in primary school with has passed away and those girls, because they're not heavily involved or they're not associated and they've got A-star grades, they get missed. You know, we don't give young women a space to grieve and heal. So, we, so this, is, this is really interesting. So you're talking about a collective trauma yeah. with uh, girls which get, gets missed. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting you say that, um, we don't have to mention names, but we know... Uh, young people we both work with who unfortunately have lost their lives and 
I do recall at the funeral for one young person, just the, the, the level of grieving from all the children who were there, but particularly with the girls. Um, and as a community, we, we were just not prepared for that. And there is no ongoing support um, for those young people. So one thing I'd like to just... All of you are working, all three of you are working specifically in this area with, with girls and women. What are some of the solutions? What are some of the things which you are doing? This is an opportunity to promote your work if you want. But it's also just great learning for us. So what are you doing to help challenge some of the stereotypes, misconceptions and the hurt, which is clearly there, which is not being picked up in a mainstream level? Providing spaces and I mean, physical spaces, metaphorical spaces online, spaces to express themselves creatively, spaces to talk to somebody who actually understands what they may be going through and can empathise with that. And that's something I feel like statutory services don't provide because they'll just place, here's a worker in front of you who's probably 40 years older than you, has learned everything they're about to say to you from a book and has no real life experience. And then half an hour later, bye, um, see you next week. And that's not what young people need. The young women that we work with can come in any time, um, literally every day, and and it as in, what's the word disruptive as it could be to me trying to get on with my admin work. Um, it's brilliant to know that they have that space and advocacy, being able to advocate because a lot of these women find it really difficult to articulate how they're feeling because part of them doesn't want to talk about it or think about it ever again because it's that hard for them to think about. And another part of them is like, I just want to smash something. I don't want to talk about it. So being able to advocate for them, liaise with other services, maybe schools, um, because a lot of these young women are on the verge of being excluded from schools because the schools don't understand why they're acting, how they're acting. So being able to advocate for them on that side. Um, I think a lot of it is keeping it survivor-focused survivor-centred, co-design, co-create, make sure the young people are at the centre of everything that you're doing and it's, it's built with them and it gives them a sense of ownership as well, which is very powerful for them because you're giving them back some power that may have been withdrawn elsewhere in their lives from maybe a violent relationship or trauma at home. So yeah, space and yeah. presence, being there. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so the first thing I'm doing is going to get qualified as a therapeutic wellbeing practitioner. Um, to work with young people from the age of 11 right up till 24 and probably even younger than 11 because the youngest I work with currently is a young lady who is young I call her a young lady she's nine because she's definitely a young lady <laughs> um, and the reason why I felt the need to go and do that is because after some of the young people that I've worked with I hear I talk to you because you get it I don't want to talk to them because they don't get it so I thought, to make sure that my work is done in the right kind of way, I need to kind of get this qualification so I'm able to manage and contain the young people that I work with. So that's the first thing. But in terms of directly with young women, I have a safe space called Milk and Honey. And for me, Milk and Honey does two things. The milk side of it is giving young women back strength. The honey side is for them to use that strength to produce sweet stuff through creativity. And when I talk about sweetness, I'm not talking about like their physical appearance. I'm talking about the internal work that young women need to do to put her first. And my her is healing, empowerment and resilience. And we do that through group projects and one-to-ones and do everything creatively. Again, co-designed, co-produced, co-led, 
because they make the decision. And that's why I confidently say that I work for them because they, they lead and I follow and I supervise and I definitely pull back when I need to. <laughs> but um, what we do in that space is we use a, do a range of different sessions around what they want to talk about. So do you want to talk about mental health? Do you want to talk about relationships? Do you want to talk about violence? What do you want to talk about? And we design sessions for them around those issues that they want to talk about. Then they also create something and then giving them back the power, they use what they've created to give back to the community. So we've had self-care days, we've created music, and we're about to launch our photography project today. <laughs> today, um, we're, and it's called The Power In Me, named by the young girls that I've worked with, flyers designed by them, videos designed by them, and they really wanted it be, to be called The Power In Me because they're searching for power. Young women want power. The narrative of girls are victims needs to change, and we need to start looking at these girls as if we're going to look at them as victims well they're going to be future mothers so we need to increase the power within that victim so that she is going to be okay because i keep hearing from teenage girls what if i have a son what if i'm not okay to raise my son and for me that hurts me a lot because they're the future mothers nurses all the you know gender applied jobs that these girls will go for in the future and they don't feel powerful enough to be able to do that. Again, with schools, what I'm trying to do is really work with the girls who the schools are deeming as bad and naughty and aggressive and make schools aware of the trauma that these girls are really going through, whether it's on an exploitation side, which is probably the highest side on the spectrum, or a just, I just buried my friend the other day. Like when you think about that funeral that you was talking about, all those girls, Believe me when I say all those girls, I'm still in contact with every single one of them. And it has been so difficult for them because they've spent a lot more of their time making sure that these boys around their friend are okay and nobody's really looked at them. And for me, that's why I created Milk and Honey off the back of working with some of these young women since 2015 because they needed that space to kind of say, I'm going through all these things in my relationship but I need to grieve and I need to heal. So that's what Milk and Honey does. Amazing. At Abbey we talk about young women being experts on their own lives, which is kind of what you guys have already been talking about. But I think that's so key that we actually ask young women and older women as well what they need. Um, and to do that, you have to be in the community and speaking to those young women directly. Um, and I think, as you said, a lot of women can't access or don't access services for whatever reason. So we also need to think about who is best placed to go out and have those conversations and find out what women need in the first place and then bring those voices back into places that have power and speak to other people who have power so that it can be a, a bigger change, something that government recognises. Um, I also think we don't, we can't leave the young men out of this conversation either, because ultimately if we're talking about the fact that young women do experience violence, that violence against women and girls is still a really significant issue, then we have to be teaching boys about consent, we have to be teaching them about healthy relationships. That is happening more and more with young women in schools now, but it's still not happening enough with young men. Um, and I think until that education and that culture shifts, then really... We can do lots of fantastic work with young women, but actually when we send them back out into their communities, they're going to be facing the same issues. Yeah, fantastic point. And I was going to bring that up, actually, just whether you, either any of you actually feel 
is it important to give women a space and girls? And I think that we'd all agree, yes. But how do you then impact young boys, men to respect women? And do you ever bring men and women or boys and girls into the same space? How does that, do you do that? Do you see value in that? Does that work? What kind of comes from that? I think on my end, so with Juvenis, we have like sister projects. That's what we call them, sister projects. So on our end, we've got a project that does cater for healthy relationships and creates safe spaces within schools for boys and girls and then maybe brings them together to have like joint conversations. Because at the end of the day, boys and girls do talk. And if we don't teach them as individuals and together, then we will never really understand them. The way that I work with the girls is that's their space. They don't even like when our male manager comes in there. That's their space. They will send him packing. Yeah. And do you know what? I like that because that's powerful for them. They reclaim their space. But what I do with them is I teach them how to also kind of respect themselves as well as how to respect men. Because I think sometimes conversations are very one-sided. When we're talking about women, we talk about how men disrespect women. And I think it then misses that as women sometimes, as, as women sometimes there is the disrespect and there is the abuse that is laid on men from women. So I kind of teach both men and women how to respect themselves and how to respect each other. I guess through working with the boys I've worked with, because of the way I work with the boys, they will automatically say, ah, I've got a girl that you need to, you need to work with. I think there's a girl that I know that would benefit from this. Because, and what I found is, for every girl that a boy tried to get me to work with, the word love came up. And it was because he didn't understand how to process what love was. Because if you don't know what it is, if somebody's saying to you, I love you, whereas you've got 101 other things on your mind, you're going to feel a bit weird. So I kind of bring in that conversation of really understanding what relationships are, how to be healthy. And that's done through our sister project, which is the Yana Project as well. I think it's important to involve boys in the conversation, not only on the violence level, but to also understand the trauma that these girls go through. You know, waiting up at night for you, making sure that you've eaten, all these little things that people think are just the norm are not the norm. These are trauma responses. These are young women who are worried about these boys. And I kind of allow the boys to see, you know, every time she texts you, Although you might think it's annoying, that is her making sure that you reply that you're not arrested and that you're not dead. And the fact that we have young girls as young as 11 doing this for boys, and sometimes it's even their older brothers, which is where my worry starts to come in. If you're 11 and you've got a 16-year-old brother and you think that at 11 you need to make sure that he's okay every five minutes, when she then becomes 16 and she maybe gets into her first relationship, she's going to believe that that's what she needs to do. Yeah. So it's right. just about kind of working around all the little components. But my main focus for me is the trauma because all these kids are traumatised. And if we don't start to address the trauma that these children are facing, we won't be able to even teach them healthy relationships because they will reenact yeah. the trauma. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, you guys are just blowing me away. Because the problem I tend to, the whole idea about Power to Fight is that we are trying to equip and empower the community to be part of the solution. And that is a collaborative, trying to engage with faith groups, arts organisations, statutory, anybody who's front-facing with, with this issue. But if I'm honest, when it comes to women and girls, 
there is still kind of a resistance from particular institutions to engage in this in a, in a separate lane. So, you know, you're talking about, oh, yeah, I want an introduction around understanding what's going on with youth violence. But then you're kind of saying, OK, but you know what? In your institution, it's like a youth group at a church. you got girls. You need to understand this in a separate entity. There's such resistance. And um, I don't know, what would you say to these institutions, whether it's faith groups, schools, arts organisations, who tend to just focus the question or the... The, the solutions or the remedies just on the on the boys. How dangerous is that in terms of the landscape we're dealing with nowadays? I think for me it's extremely dangerous, but then as practitioners or as people that deliver training, I think it speaks a lot about us. I think maybe sometimes they have the resistance because we haven't always brought it to their forefront enough. And for me, it's about why are they resisting? Is it because they feel like they don't have a problem or because the problems that they feel like they've got are things that they can control with their own safeguarding measures and so if whenever I deliver training around this issue to like faith groups or teachers or stuff I bring both both perspectives of girls like yeah okay I know you understand the exploitation but do you understand the girl in your class well just on that I'm just going to cut in because I was uh, Carly Furman contextual safeguarding genius um, uses an example of in a school where there was a lot of um, uh, boys put, putting up girls like skirts and stuff and how one particular school she was dealing with dealt with it was just to tell girls to wear like cycling shorts underneath so what have you done there you've basically you've not actually addressed mm. you've you put like a, a bandage on something but you've not actually gone into the root cause and saying to the trying to educate the boys why this is wrong, why this is inappropriate. You've just said, well, to stop this happening, we're just going to get you to wear circling shoes. It's an easy option. So it's things like that will frustrate me. Yeah. And this is why this conversation for me is so important and it's, it's frustrating. It's, it's the conversation people have been having for years, though, especially with regards to rape. You know, the women shouldn't be drunk, the women shouldn't be wearing that, mm -hmm. the women shouldn't be walking down this alleyway. And it's so much easier to try and implement those things contextually than to pump hundreds of thousands of millions of pounds into an educational system or a proper rehabilitation system that teaches men not to rape. And I think that's where these systems are failing our young people because we have to go in and to schools and teach constant education. We have to go into communities. We have to go into prisons. And for people who have been imprisoned because of rape, what rehabilitation is there for them to then be reintegrated back into a society where these temptations are everywhere? And I think these these institutions are failing young people by only focusing on addressing how the woman can protect herself better. We shouldn't have to protect ourselves because we should be safe. And it's, a, it's the schools and these community spaces and faith groups, etc., to allow a space where the woman can feel 100% safe and know that when she leaves this space and walks home, she's going to be 100% safe. And nobody can guarantee that because things happen in life. But they're not doing that. And I really do think they're failing. And... I had a similar case with a couple of young women I work with when they were being sexually assaulted, that's what it is, by a young man in the school. So it was reported immediately and the school pretty much left it for the parents to call the police. But it was happening on their school grounds, on their school time, when they have a duty of care over these young women. And they were so brave, even going forward and making the report with me. And nothing came of it. 
And now we're trying to re-channel these ideas. Don't be disheartened to speak up again in the future if something was to happen to you. And they feel like, what's the point? And this is what it's doing. And it's allowing these things to repeat into a cycle because you speak out once, nobody listens, and you remain silent for the rest of your life. Yes. And that's the kind of cycle we need to break. I think if I was to speak to faith and kind of youth club settings, what I would be saying to them is actually that they have an amazing opportunity where they have young people willingly coming into their spaces every day. It's an amazing opportunity for them to pick up those young women that, that get missed by every other service. And also an amazing place for them as adult role models to model what it looks like for men and women to respect each other and to show what healthy relationships look like. And so actually to be able to do that, they need to understand these issues, they need to get the training so that they can then have the impact that they have the potential to have. Um, and yeah, I just think that there's so much being missed there that, that really could be used. I definitely agree. I think we've created a society and institutions and schools that are not ready to admit that they are criminalising their girls without even knowing, especially schools. The criminalisation of girls in schools right now is so high that we talk about boys being excluded because they're externally excluded, but nobody talks about the girls that are being internally excluded. The rates of girls that mm. are being criminalised in schools is high. And the fact that they're criminalised in schools, that's supposed to be a safe space. Of course she's going to feel criminalised in society. So she's going to be restricted to who she speaks to and how she speaks to them. And I think I agree with you, it's very important. But then as we all know, as women, but also as people that support young women, they don't want to just talk to anyone. There has to be an understanding of culture. And I'm not talking about culture on just one level. I'm talking about community culture as well. Because I think when people talk about culture, they just see it as a racial issue. And no, I'm talking about community culture. Do you know the communities that these girls are coming from? If you do, then you have some sort of ability to be able to engage with them. And when working with girls, I find that if you go straight to the problem, you've missed the mark there. <laughs> you kind of have to go round it creatively or through taking them out. But what they're looking for really is female role models that they know that can take all their stuff. And I kind of have had this example of like the dustbin, like, you know, my lid is open, put it all in. And then when I close it, you know that I'm going to take it to go and recycle it somewhere. So they just give and give and give and give and disclose good. because they can trust you. So uh, we're coming towards the end of our time. I think we're going to have to do a part two at some point because I'm just learning so much. Um, and I haven't even got into all why you are doing what you're you're doing because I think you know knowing a little bit about all of you it's all interesting in stories really um but I suppose just to kind of close really is there anything that you feel we haven't covered that you'd like to just make a comment on um and so that's one question and then the second thing because I'm a pastor at heart I'm also just interested in how you guys remain healthy in the work that you're doing what uh, how do you yeah, deal with your own mental health and who speaks into your life? And I'm hoping everybody has somebody because it's being embarrassing if it doesn't. But, um, but yeah, just so those, those things really. Um, my kind of closing point would be that I think we all need to start working together a lot more and the onus needs to be shifted from it being the women's job to solve violence against women and girls to it needs to be a whole community job. And I think that there needs to be more men at the front 
line working with young men around violence against women and girls and not just around general violence because carrying a weapon because you're scared for your life is different than going home and abusing your partner. Um, however, the whole kick the cat cycle um, is definitely involved, but they need to be addressed separately. And I think there's too much responsibility on women to solve this problem for ourselves when we're not actually 100% of the people perpetrating the problem or pushing the problem down. Um, so again, government issue, things need to be done top down as well, maybe one day. But um, yeah, that's my closing. Um, I'd say my closing is don't just treat young women as victims. They hold power as much as they have been through things. I've worked with girls who have been through the most horrific things that I could imagine, but they are probably the most strongest and powerful women that I have met. And they are young and I can call them women because they are on their journey of healing to become stronger women. But I do agree with you. We all need to work together to start to work with young women affected by violence on all levels, whether it's she's been violently assaulted or she's witnessed violence. Because I think in the conversation, we're doing very well with talking about violence against women, but not violence that women are witnessing. Um, I think my closing kind of statement would just be to encourage people that if they're watching this feeling like they don't know that much about it, go and learn more. Um, go and learn about what it looks like in your community. Go and look, learn about what it's like for the women close to you, local to you, and that is the best place to start in terms of supporting women and finding out, yeah, are they affected because of the trauma? Are they affected because they've experienced violence or are they affected because they've used violence? Um, and what do they need from you? So let's listen more to young women. And, that, and, they're, and they're all amazing points. And because I've worked in this field for 20 years, what I've actually seen is over a period of time, there's enthusiasm that starts when you're working and then inevitably you get tired. Um, and one of the things I'm always encouraging people, especially uh, younger practitioners like you guys, is to make sure you've got people around you, clinical supervision, support, 15, like 10, 15 years ago, that wasn't available in, with like my generation. Do you feel like you guys are getting that level of support where you can offload and you can remain healthy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely do. So through my course, I definitely get enough supervision. And then at work, I get supervision. And then I've got two mentors who I just phone at any point in time where I need to that offer me like a space. But I've got family and I think Again, when you are a young practitioner who has grown up around this issue, your family is not just like your direct family. Um, it can be the people around you who support you as well. And so I guess for me, my family are my biggest support system and have always got my back when I need them. But I've also learned that we can't do it all and we have to be resilient to know when we have to look after ourselves. And I think that's something across the whole sector that doesn't really get spoken about. How do we look after ourselves? So I'm just happy that I've got the space within the workplace and out of the workplace to do that. Great. I need to do better okay. um, for myself, but I, I work with a great team um, of other young women and I've got friends and family around. So I, I have um, my, my free offloads, which I was told you need free people around you, uh, one of the five ways to wellbeing. Um, so I have my three people, which, yeah, is good. Good. Okay. I think 
think I had to learn the hard way. Um, when I started working, I was working for more generalised services and clinical supervision just doesn't even get considered in those kind of contexts. Um, now I work for a very supportive women's organisation and that's a fantastic place to be and I get great clinical supervision and have good friends around me who kind of understand what I do and what impact that has. Great. Well, Talia, Ebi, Laura, I just want to say thank you. Um, keep going. Uh, Power of Fight will always be here to support you guys and I know we're all doing different work together we will do different work together um, but thank you for your time and uh, yeah you guys are amazing keep going <laughs>